0: That's N-O-O-M to sign up today.
1: How's it going? And welcome to episode 93 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at on the wire Pod. And if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80grade. That's all spelled out. And once again, joined by Kevin Hastings, who should be followed on the Twitter himself, at Kevin. And we are, I'm sure, Kevin, are in living in a tale of two worlds right now, as my, the thermostat is reading negative over here. We've got some white stuff on the ground. Not much, but it's there, and it's cold, and it's windy. What What's your life living like right now in, on the big island?
2: <laughs> and it'll be low 80s today. Yeah, quite different. I know people... All over the mainland from, I have friends in Portland. It's colder there than usual. Gulf Coast of Texas, people trying to insulate their homes because they don't typically need insulation. (laughs) I know it is extremely cold everywhere. 40 below zero wind chills at my mom's house near Omaha, Nebraska. I've seen Mike Carter posting similar for Chicago. I feel for everybody, but I'm not going to apologize for what, it's, <laughs> this, what it is here. <laughs> this was just
1: my sneaky way of making all our listeners appreciate me more than you. That's just that because most of them are in my boat. Yeah, I saw Maddie Woods yes. tweet. Feels like negative 31 as he trudges through on his route. So that's, yeah, good times. <laughs> Yeah, I feel I'm seeing a lot of these posts and I'm feeling very fortunate that I've only seen negative seven as the low so far. It's getting a little warmer. The sun's peeking out and it's not enough snow for me to have to worry about shoveling the sidewalk. So I'm just staying inside (laughs) talking to you. (laughs)
2: There
1: you go. (laughs) Works that way. We got a lot to talk about today as this episode is set to come out on Sunday, Christmas Day hopefully everybody listening is taking time out of their christmas to listen to us of course there are less por- there, there are no- there's nothing else more important to be doing on that day if, if you happen to have a tree in your living room but for you're listening to this we we appreciate it but we do have a lot to go over a lot of stuff has happened in the last week that we since we spoke Kevin so we're just going to let's just dedicate th- this episode to All the moves that have made. And let's start off with what I think is the most pressing and the most important thing that's happened. Matt Carpenter is still in Major League Baseball. We get to talk about him for the next two years as he signs a two year deal with San Diego. It's one year guaranteed at least $12 million plus a player option for 2024. So if it's up to him, he'll be in San Diego for at least the next two years. He's expected to play more of a utility role for the Padres rather than purely like first base or DH like he was with the Yankees, though I'm sure that'll be the main use of, of his with the Padres. But he should, he could gain outfield eligibility, first base eligibility in short order with an outside chance of actually filling in enough at second base, third base, down the line. It might not happen for a while. It's there. Right now, he's UT only. Assuming he stays healthy long enough, he could get four eligibilities. I don't know how much you buy into that, but it's possible. What kind of format are you interested in actually drafting Carpenter rather than waiting until picking him up on the wire based on his new role with the Padres?
2: Definitely in draft champions or other draft and hold formats. I think he will get enough plate appearances, at least in streaks throughout the season, depending on what else goes on with the Padres to be useful and valuable in that scenario. Also in fab leagues. I think this is the type of player that, especially if I'm drafting now, I'll go ahead and grab him knowing that I can replace him if necessary at a later date. So yeah, roster resource has him as the designated hitter right now. We've talked throughout the off season on multiple occasions that the Padres could use a designated hitter and first baseman. I think first base eligibility is probably the most likely and the position that if he does gain eligibility somewhere, That would be first that would free up Jake Cronenworth to move around a little bit as he has done in the past and fill in where needed. It's really interesting to me just looking at the Padres lineup right now and even without Fernando Tatis Jr., it's almost full with Matt Carpenter at designated hitter. It's almost a certainty Unless some tragic happens to, to either Machado or Bogarts that Fernando Tatis Jr. will be in the outfield. I, I think for what roster resource has right now, that means Jose Azucar will be the guy to lose playing time if losing playing time when he has 216 career plate appearances is a thing. <laughs> But as of now, that's where they have him. And a side note, he might be a sneaky play for stolen bases for the first month of the season and then drop him when he's going to lose his playing time if things stay as they do now. But I like this for Matt Carpenter. I think it's a good spot. I I think he will be the primary designated hitter for the Padres. And the big difference when I'm looking, we had a couple of rough years. We thought he was done. He pulled 60% of his fly balls last year. That's where the power came from. That's why he was on track for the 30 home runs we kept joking about. If he continues to do that, he's fine as the designated hitter in the sixth or seventh spot for the Padres, and I'll roll with him.
1: Yeah, he's got an ADP in 12 teamers in the NFBC right now. He's got an ADP of 470, which obviously is not getting him drafted in online championships, not getting him drafted in our listener leagues, those 12 team Fab leagues. But he's got a min of 334, which technically still fits into that, those. But I could, depending on how the rest of the free agent market kind of irons itself out by the time the first bids come in early April, late March. I'd be very curious to see what kind of bids are put into Matt Carpenter in those leagues. Like our early listener leagues. we can talk to talk about in a future episode. What kind, what needs people are going to have as they draft these fab leagues in early in November, December, and even January, as the online championships are just rolling out in December as well. With that UT only to start the season, I'm not surprised he's not getting drafted early, but knowing that there is a possibility by, I don't know, maybe mid May, he could at least have single eligibility at first base, like you mentioned. There's going to be more of an opportunity for him to fill in the corner outfield spots if he's feeling up to it but they have enough flexibility with Cronenworth and Kim even Bogarts even though he says he only wants to play shortstop he can't move around as well if you know they're paying him enough he'll they'll do what (laughs) he should do what they tell him to do and so I don't see him getting those extra eligibility (laughs) any earlier than August at the very most
2: right Yeah, I agree. I think primarily he's UT only, and that's how I'd plan on it. If he gains eligibility anywhere, it'd be an added bonus if you end up needing him in that spot.
1: But something to keep an eye on as if he is on your wire, something to keep an eye on. You want to grab him if you're interested in him to fill in that corner spot, get him. A week before he gains that eligibility so that, you know, he's going to be a little bit more popular once he's something other than UT only. All right. Stay in San Diego. They made another two, surprisingly, their rotation as they signed Seth Lugo to a deal. And he's expected to be their fifth starter now, he said as much that he was looking for a place where he had an opportunity to start at least to start the season and it looks like the Padres are going to give him that opportunity does knowing what his role is going to be in his new location make him any more or less interesting as you contemplate him in drafts whether they be in the draft and holds or even a deeper fab league
2: yeah I think for me this is more of a deep fab league play as of right now just the fact of being able to replace him, something goes awry if it doesn't work out. But as of right now, yeah, he's probably he's probably going to stick in this rotation as, as long as he performs. It, it's interesting. He hasn't started since 2020, and that was the worst season of his career. No idea if there's any correlation there. I haven't dug (laughs) real deep into that yet, but that is the one red flag to me as I look. But most of those starts were as an opener because in 16 games, even with seven starts, he only had 36 innings pitched. So I don't think we can really take that into account much, but it was something I noticed when I pulled this up. Yeah, this is interesting. The big key to me will be lots of times when we see guys we're used to seeing as a reliever move into a starting role. uh, We have to remember the strikeouts probably go down and it was just over a strikeout per inning in 2022 in his 65 innings. So I'm not going to count on a strikeout per inning from him as a starter and we'll see how the projections play out. The steamer has him at just over eight strikeouts per nine. So they are making that adjustment. He hasn't had anything that low since 2017. So they are making that adjustment. That's probably where I would roll with. And yeah, I think as of right now, especially when you're getting a fifth starter from a team, but a team with the offensive lineup, the Padres has, yeah, I, we're chasing wins and this could be a good late round spot for, to try to grab some. Yeah,
1: and I know the worry would be like, he's been a like you said, he hasn't started a game since 2020. And so how long, how far is he going to go into games? He signed already in December. He's got lots of times to ramp himself up. He's got a spring training still a few months away. So I'm not, I wouldn't be too worried about that. You mentioned 2020 being his worst season in a while and, all of that, it came from his games that he started. And so I'm looking at his game log from 2020 and he started the final seven games or his seven last seven appearances were all starts. Almost all of them went, he went three innings, three and two thirds. Then he ramped up to five innings, five and a third. He had a six and a third inning game in there. And all of those games only let up one run. He got blown up in the other three or the other two starts. And that's where all, that's where that ERA got ballooned. So that's a couple years ago. It's been a long time. That's not in his head, obviously. But what I'm saying is that he does have that opportunity to go deep, deep enough into a game where he could qualify for that win on a regular basis, as long as the offense has his back. A little bit more maybe than the Mets might have back in 2020. All right. So now, speaking of the Mets, they do make an addition. They come in and they make us all look foolish for having the gall to analyze the fact that Carlos Correa was going to be a Giant. We went, I think every podcast talking about him, including us, spent a good 20 minutes talking about the ramifications of Carlos Correa signing a 13-year deal with the Giants. Lo and behold... All that information is out the window because Carlos Correa is actually going to spend the next 12 years with the Mets pending a physical. As we're recording this, that pending is still pending. So maybe we'll be recording a whole new analysis in the future. But I don't think, I think Steve Cohen, when he makes a decision to to pay for services of a certain player, he's going to hold on to that. All that aside, Carlos Correa is now going to be a New York Mets for the foreseeable future, probably for the remainder of his career, for the next 12 years at least. what He's going to be playing third base for the Mets, supposedly. I'm not sure how he would push Francisco Lindor off a short. Obviously, a possibility of him filling in when needed, if Lindor needs a day off and what have you. But what does this mean for the remainder of the Mets infield, specifically in prospect Matt 80. Korea himself gaining third base eligibility he's got to make him more interesting in drafts where he's going right now give me your 30,000 foot take on this move for Korea
2: yeah this is really interesting so as far as Korea himself I think one his ADP is gonna jump quite a bit compared to the perception we talked about this a week or two ago San Francisco was probably a better landing spot than the perception would be. And therefore we thought we might get some value with Korea, not getting much of a jump or maybe even dropping a little bit in drafts. And now to the Mets, the take the ballpark out of it, but it's just perception, right? So many, Fantasy baseball players are in and around the New York area and Mets fans. He is going to jump quite a bit, especially with the prospect of gaining, not prospect, it's a certainty. At fairly early in the season, he's going to gain third base eligibility. And even where he's being drafted right now in the 120s puts him right in the middle of that big drop-off we have at third base after Bregman and Gunnar Henderson go at the end of the sixth round, early seventh round in 15 team leagues. Then we go to the 11th round before the next third baseman is, is off the board. Carlos Correa is going to jump right in there and maybe jump over Gunnar Henderson and up and right in that range with Bregman there got jumping up. This is a, this is a, probably a pretty big jump. He's going to take in drafts and he may very well be worth it. As we talked about going to San Francisco, I don't think park really matters for his power. His home runs are typically going to be home runs anywhere. If he does indeed hit second where roster resource has him with Brandon Nimmo ahead of him in his on base skills. This is great. I think for Correa, but I think everybody else is going to think so too. I think there's a big jump coming here, but he falls right in that spot for me. I'm going to be looking at him more of a third baseman, knowing that I won't be able to use him there for a couple of weeks, but I'll be drafting him as a third baseman right at that drop-off. I would put him in front of the drop-off with Bregman and Henderson. And as far as Beatty goes, he's blocked now and blocked good. (laughs) They... We have to assume the Mets are probably going to move him at some point with the contracts that Lindor and, and Correa have with them now. He's not playing on the left side of that infield for quite some time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then any, you're going to want to expect them to play maybe some DH just to get him in the lineup perhaps, but we've got a whole other blockage there. That, that freed up a little bit with James McCann going to Baltimore. we we'll get to that in a little bit, but it's still blocked up quite a bit as well. Yeah, I agree. Nobody's going to be drafting Correa as a shortstop. Simple as that. It's not going to happen. You don't pick, if you picked Correa as a shortstop with that jump that you're talking about, then you're picking him above Tim Anderson. You're picking him above Xander Bogarts. You're picking him above Wander Franco, who are going in that 85 to 90 ADP range right now as shortstops. And Tommy Edmund right above that, barely, because, you know, we got Bregman, I think, as like ADP around 83 right in between there. But like you said, Correa, Bregman, that's much more of a toss-up, especially in that loaded lineup that Correa's put. Granted, Bregman has his own loaded lineup in Houston that he's playing with. Plus, he's got those Crawford boxes that he loves to hit into. But- you, I'm not going to fault anybody for picking Correa over Bregman at this point. Now, maybe as the offseason trudges on, maybe that shine of the of finding a new spot goes down a little bit. And the shine of Gunnar Henderson is still there because he's a rookie and people are excited and all that. And you have Todd Zola picking him in, what, the third round of a draft recently, as he announced. But yeah, nobody's going to be picking Correa as a shortstop simple as that it's nice to have the extra flexibility but you're going to be drafting him as your starting third baseman unless you did some weird wonky draft strategy in the early rounds of your draft
2: right the 18th shortstop off the board in 15 team draft mm-hmm. champions leagues is Javier Baez and he's being drafted in about the same spot as Cabrian Hayes who is the ninth or 10th third baseman being drafted He's definitely being drafted as a third baseman from here on out.
1: All right. Like I mentioned, the Mets made another move. They had to make some room after also signing Omar Navarez. We talked about that in the last episode. They trade James McCann over to the Baltimore Orioles, who are only going to be paying $5 million of his, what, I think $24 million left on his contract, something around that number. So he's definitely being paid back up. Catcher money, and that's the role he will have in Baltimore. But they say he is still going to be he's still going to play at least half the games behind the plate for the Orioles. Does this make him? Do you if he has any kind of a bounce back to what we saw him do with the White Sox? Does he is he become C two interest? Do you have any interest in him as a C2 in a fab league? Or is he strictly a more elevated C three now that you know his role in a draft and hold?
2: I think he's gonna be one of those guys sitting there on the waiver wire when you need him. I think in draft and hold leagues, yeah, the catcher three, not quite catcher two. And maybe this is maybe I'm doing what I know we shouldn't. Maybe I'm putting too much stock into The fact that I did draft him as a catcher, too, in a couple of spots last season, and it most definitely did not work out. But if we look back to 2021, 412 plate appearances, 10 home runs. I was drafting that at 232 average, not horrendous for a catcher. I was drafting him in spots where I didn't get my second catcher until late for 2022. And it bit me. He only ended up with 191 plate appearances. I don't think he'll approach. I you know this is what they're saying. I don't think he's getting anywhere close to 400 plate appearances. If he does, I think he'll be available on your waiver wire in fab leagues and worth monitoring for the times when you're in a pinch and need to grab a second catcher. That was the case for somebody most weeks in fab in 2022. There oh, was, yeah. so, there oh, was yeah. a catcher that went down. <laughs> almost every week throughout the season and we needed somebody he'll be on that watch list for me but even in I I guess as a third maybe even fourth catcher in draft and holds where I'm drafting four catchers he's gonna have some playing time we know that he can be worth putting in there so yeah he's in the draft and holds that he's more of a lower end three higher end four for me but in fab leagues I'll let him sit there on the waiver wire. Hopefully him or someone similar is there when I need him.
1: Yeah, that issue that you talked about with needing a catcher throughout the course of the season in a given week is really pushed me to, I think I talked about this a couple episodes ago, I'm really diving after Darton Varsho and MJ Melendez in my draft and hold specifically. Mm-hmm. And I'm mostly drafting them as outfielders and then going and picking from the from the dumpster bin for my starting catchers, knowing I have somebody that can move up into my catcher spot, but is still going to be fantasy relevant in their outfield slots as well. Where they're going in ADP, Varsho going in the 40s, Melendez still just over the 100 pick mark in most leagues. So relatively appropriate <laughs> where they're going and they can still fill that outfield spot, which... is arguably less deep than the catcher slot. Yeah, these catchers are going to be, like you mentioned, these catchers are going to be available on the wire, especially in your 12-teamers, even in two-catcher leagues. Looking at the results from the first online championship, only 26 catchers were picked. Not a surprise. You're not. Most people aren't drafting more than two catchers, especially in these early Fab leagues. When luck could still happen, you could just make those adjustments in the first Fab period. So obviously, two teams did, and they very well just could be putting Varsho in their outfield spot, or Melendez, or even Christian Betancourt in their UT or their corner infield spot as a backup. So something to look at. You're going to have guys like McCain. You're going to have Omar Nevarez, You're going to have. A lot of these starting catchers on bad teams that are going to be available, especially in your 12 teamers. So not somebody you need to go stretching out for, except possibly in your draft and holds. I agree. All right. We have a lot more to talk about. I think that was pretty much all there is for the Mets, but we got a lot of other teams making a lot of other moves. We'll get to those in just a moment, right after this quick break.
0: Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss.
1: All right, we are back. Of course, you are listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe. We have Kevin Hastings. And we are talking about all the major moves that have happened between now and the last time we talked, Kevin. <laughs> Plenty of it has happened. So we're going to get into it a little bit more. Hey, look at this. The Rockies actually made some moves. They didn't really make moves. They just got of get rid of players. <laughs> they didn't really gain anybody new. They're just getting rid of players and they're finding new homes. So my question is going to be obviously, can their new teams actually utilize them better than the Rockies did, which I know is a difficult question to answer without even naming any of the players, but I'm going to, I'm going to have you do it anyway. Garrett Hampson, he was DFA'd by the, by the Rockies. He got picked up by the Marlins on a minor league deal. And then Connor Joe was traded to the pirates earlier this week of these two guys, Hampson, Connor Joe, which of these two bats has a better shot of making a name for themselves with their new teams.
2: Originally, I thought there might still be, I thought there would be some excitement there. There is not a shortage of Garrett Hampson fantasy baseball fans out there that have been pining for him to get full-time at bats for several years. I still don't think it's going to happen. My opinion, the entire time was he (laughs) can't get on base. He had, he has not, gotten on base over 30% of the time since 2019 and that was barely he had a 302 OBP in 327 plate appearances in 2019 it has been below 290 OBP each of the past three seasons then we think oh he's going to the Marlins this could be great maybe more consistent playing time helps this and this is a thing but when you start looking at At the Marlins lineup, even the Marlins, they got jazz at second base. They got Miguel Rojas, who is a better baseball player in spite of his 283 OBP in 2022. He has been a better baseball player than Garrett Hampson has over the past couple of seasons. In my opinion, I don't know that Garrett Hampson is going to get any more than the couple hundred plate appearances with the Marlins than he did with the Rockies. So I, I still have zero interest in Hampson, even with the move. Now, Connor Joe might be a little more interesting. It really depends on how this lineup shakes out in Pittsburgh. It This is just as iffy, right? He, Roster Resource doesn't have him in the starting lineup at the moment. They have him on the short side of a platoon to get in there, probably as an outfielder, we know they've signed 14, 15 first baseman this offseason, right?
1: <laughs> at least two that are going to play in front of them. G yeah, Man they got Choy. rid of one of them too. I'll give them some yeah. credit. Luan right. Diaz has now found his fourth team in the last six <laughs> weeks right. as he got picked up by the by Atlanta. And yeah. but that's not a story worth mentioning. Keep going.
2: <laughs> yeah, G-Man Choi at, at first base. Carlos Santana, designated hitter. He can fill in at first base. I mean, Andahar can play
1: some first base if you need yeah. to. There's so options. I,
2: I <laughs> don't know that this is much better than the Hampson situation for Connor Joe because we would want to see him in the top half of that lineup on on a team that this bad and if he's filling in for Choi or Santana that would probably be the case you'd probably go right into that fourth or fifth spot in the lineup but as the way things sit right now it's just a wait and see for me on Connor Joe as well but I am more interested in monitoring that than I am Garrett Hampson
1: one thing I will say about Garrett Hampson and for years maybe not last year I probably fell off that bandwagon last year or maybe halfway through the year before is that if if the Marlins decide to give him a chance he has the opportunity of being John Birdie 2.0 for the Marlins. That's exactly what we said about Birdie. Birdie just needed, like Birdie's concern going into last year too was he's not going to get any plate appearances. Like he's not going to get the opportunity or the consistent opportunity. Now, if injuries happen and he gets more than just a minor league deal, if he's on the major league roster, the Marlins are a team that, granted, new manager things could change as their tendencies. they might not run as aggressively as they did last year. but even with his limited time, Hampson found a way to steal he stole 12 bases last year and as I'm looking more into stolen bases, i he's pretty aggressive on the base pass. he had very limited opportunity as you mentioned he has a hard time getting on base to to give himself those opportunities. but when he has those opportunities, he doesn't take he takes them all simple as that like he for every 16 pitches that he sees when he's in a stolen base opportunity when he has second base open in front of him when he's on first he takes that he takes that aggressive approach and goes after the stolen base because you know what it's probably the only way he's gonna get on the second base as simple as that so in a, in a situation where you see he's getting the call up and he's going to get a start or two I could see especially if you're in a daily league Feels free to stream Garrett Hampson. If you need those stolen bases and you're head to head week, keep an eye on him because he, if he's, if he has the opportunity to steal more than likely, he will do it because that is what he brings to the table. I'm not drafting him though. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There we go. Rockies. I don't know, maybe they get better by subtraction, addition by subtraction there, but we'll see how they they go to very obvious locations, right? If the Rockies aren't going to use them, at least they go to the Marlins or the Pirates where the playing time could happen there. All right, and then one of the bigger things is the trade that came through just before Christmas. We talked about how Toronto was going to be trading a catcher, and they do. They send Gabriel Moreno out west to Arizona along with Lords Guriel Jr. going to the outfield, and they replace him with Dalton Varsho. So you wouldn't have expected to see them trade for a catcher, though Varsho is anything but at this point in his career. He's said it as much that he doesn't plan on catching for the for the foreseeable future or for the rest of his career. So he is cemented as a center fielder, at least moving to Toronto. You got to assume he's the starting center fielder, for the Blue Jays in a much better lineup. Let's start, Kevin, real quick with the Blue Jays. We talked a little bit off air what this might do as far as Whit Merrifield's playing time. What's your initial gut reaction to to seeing the change in the lineup for the Blue Jays?
2: Yeah, that was my initial worry was what's going to happen with Whit Merrifield. I have drafted him in a couple spots. I don't think he's... what. I don't think he was going to be or didn't think he was going to be quite an everyday player, but I thought he probably would work his way back into playing most days between outfield, second base. And then, but with Gurriel being part of the deal, that probably is not an issue with Varsho moving into center field. Merrifield can still play right when they want him to second base when they want him to. So I think, I think for Toronto, it's just the upgrade from Gurriel Jr. to Varsho in center field and the rest of the lineup pretty much stays the same. They had the three catchers and they're going to play two of them with one of them, a designated hitter as is. Yeah, they got rid of the third guy. It's really interesting to me. I just pulled this up because the tweet announcing this trade it says moreno is a consensus top 10 prospect in all of baseball that i think is overstating it a
1: bit Looks at got to be from a baseball a true baseball perspective right not because so much- of his arm yeah. yeah because
2: of his arm i don't think james anderson will mind me saying <laughs> where he's got one guy even though it, 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 it's behind a paywall but there are free trials for rotowire as well check that out because i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> use this I'm going to throw that in there because he has Moreno at 146. So, I I was that just intrigued me, the fact that he's got him cleared on at 146 doesn't mean much, but it did hit me right away when it said consensus consensus top 10 in all of baseball. I don't think that's quite the case. But the fact that he is coveted for his defense and I, this isn't what you asked. We haven't got to the Arizona side of this yet. And we were talking off air about Carson Kelly this might be more of a hit to Carson Kelly's playing time than we were talking off air. The more I'm thinking about this.
1: Oh yeah. And uh, which is n- not a pleasant surprise for me as I just drafted Carson Kelly as my C2 in my last gladiator that I finished up prior to this trade being announced. Yeah. But I think I agree with that wholeheartedly. Definitely there's more of a hit to Carson Kelly's playing time behind the plate than when Varsho was there for sure. Oh, okay. I think the surprising thing that, I got out of this initially was that I expected the Blue Jays to trade a catcher but I expected them to trade him for pitching. I expected them eat, whether it was a rotation piece or additional rot- bullpen pieces that was what I expected. Th- I think this is a great move in from a baseball perspective. And mostly from a fantasy perspective, for the Blue Jays, I wonder what it does at the top of the Blue Jays lineup. Whether or not the Blue Jays see Varsho as a leadoff hitter, as Arizona had put putting him in most of the time, does that move Springer out of that leader leadoff spot, moving him? Maybe everybody just moves down one spot in the order. I'm not sure yet. We'll obviously we'll have to wait I, and see. I,
2: for for people that have already drafted Varsho and those that continue to do, I hope so. Because if he just slides into Gurriel's spot, that was projected to be about seven.
1: Seven. Oh yeah.
2: And but and but that's possible. It is a possibility. When you're going Springer, Bichette, Vlad, Kirk, Chapman, Jansen, it's very possible he ends up down there, which would be a big hit to his value.
1: Yeah. The one thing I think Varsho has going for them, he's he's the lefty. So that's they do not have that in the lineup in Toronto prior to this trade. They have Kevin Kiermeyer. And then a whole bunch of other guys on the bench between Kevin Biggio and others. I'll just say others. And so maybe I don't know if that has if he has more value in the middle of a lineup as a lefty, or if you want to put him at the at the top of the at the top of the order against left-handed pitching or right-handed pitching. We'll see. We'll see how Toronto works on that. But I agree that the right. value it, it holds on to whether or not he's at the top of the lineup or in the bottom half of that lineup.
2: Corbin Carroll leading off now that that's appealing.
1: It's a, it's yes, yeah, definitely a strong possibility. They didn't, Varsha was the lead off right. for Arizona. It was like, it wasn't really much of a question. So I'm not, I don't he didn't have any competition. And so Carol could definitely get in there. I think McCarthy was lead off a couple of times while he was on his, uh, on his heater, but we'll see. I, and I
2: think so. And Marino, it, it, if the bat it develops, like we think it should, because he puts the bat on the ball. We know that if everything else comes around, we're probably seeing a good number of plate appearances, even if Carson Kelly's still catching. I think what Arizona would like to see is Gabriel Marino, at designated hitter on the days he's not backing up, not giving Kelly a break rather than Pavin Smith. And we've already been talking. I think a lot of people have this Arizona lineup starting to not look too bad. And we know they got a nice pitching staff led by Zach Gallon, So, this Arizona is starting to get really interesting even in a division with the Dodgers Padres and Giants out in front of them that are starting to it's nice seeing a team not just say oh we don't have yeah. a chance because of what the Padres are doing and what the Dodgers have been doing for 15 years and the Giants they're in a bit of the downturn of their cycle but we know they're not we don't know we've seen Boston do it sorry we've seen the Cubs do it but we don't think the Giants are just gonna stay not spending money they tried to sign Carlos Correa it's nice to see a team that right now would be considered by most fourth that best in the division going out and making moves like this
1: yeah totally agree nice young squad I on the same like I said I was surprised to see Toronto make this trade and not get pitching I'm also surprised to see Arizona make this trade and not get pitching and to get and to just move somebody out of their outfield in Varsho and bring in another outfielder in Loris Gurriel Jr. And yeah, he slides in. He's probably the starting left fielder or he plays outfield in general every day for them, but it still doesn't help the situation that we've been seeing in that outfield as far as how many mouths they have to feed between Carroll and McCarthy and now Gurriel and then Kyle Lewis as, as a DH Alec option. Thomas,
2: should, Alec Thomas. Alec Thomas, what his role... back? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that doesn't really clear that up per se. Maybe there's another move. There's still a lot of off season. All right. San Francisco, we talked about losing out on Carlos Correa. They, I don't know, they get a consolation prize, if you will, in Michael Conforto. He His physical is also still pending we'll see how the giants deal with that one and of course all the jokes are that the giants are just trying to appease Scott Boris by signing his next biggest client that was still on the market but he gets a i think it was a 2-year deal with the giants again pending his his press conference doesn't get delayed due to an ankle or bag or whatever former met hasn't played a game since 2021 Yes, I just said 2021, which was a weird way of saying a year. But anyway, due to his own health issues. But prior to 2021, he missed just 26 games between the seasons of 2018 and 2020. What expectations do you have of Conforto coming back for the Giants in his age 30 season, Kevin? It's tricky. I
2: think I'm optimistic. We never know what's going to happen with a player when they miss over an entire season after he went out in 2021 with the injury and then was out all of 2022. It's really intriguing to me. I think, I you know, I've seen him being drafted a lot when we didn't know where he's going to land. But now that he's landed in San Francisco, as we talked with Carlos Correa, that's going to have a negative connotation. I think as far as ballpark and He is a lefty, and if you're not Barry Bonds or Brandon Belt a couple years ago, not a lot of home runs go out to right field there, especially all the way into the bay. It's interesting. I think we got to temper the home run expectations. Steamer has him for 19 home runs and 550 plate appearances, so nowhere close to the 33 and Mm 20 that he was hitting back in 2018 and 2019. I think if we are getting close to 20 home runs, a handful of stolen bases, a batting average close to 250, which is what Steamer projects at 244, I think this is a a pretty nice conservative projection for what we could expect from him. If it ends up being better icing on the cake, I think he should be in a pretty decent lineup spot here. They got... Estrada and Hanegar and these guys near the top of the lineup. If J.D. Davis works out, he's behind him. Brandon Crawford's the shortstop again in San Francisco. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Back behind him. I think it's, and he may lose, this may become a platoon. At least he would be on the strong side if that were the case. We know that's 100% a possibility in San Francisco. They love playing the matchups. So I think if we temper our expectations and look at this, something to write around this where steamer projections have him and that's what we're drafting and not looking at 2018 and 2019 it's very intriguing with some upside as well
1: yeah i'm just looking at the roster i think the platoon is less likely as the roster is constructed right now again we're all basing this on roster resource what jason does over there God bless them. <laughs> we all reference it. And maybe they're not done, but they've got three lefty bats on the bench right now. And they already have Austin Slater is the only righty off the bench. and, he and he you it isn't Exactly. Isn't he's already got a platoon partner. <laughs> <Yep. Exactly. laughs> That's already yeah. designated. So, so that helps. Yeah. Not sure. Maybe he gets some days off just for some health and you move J.D. Davis into the DH spot. Maybe Joey Bark gets some extra playing time at first base as they have to keep Blake Sabal on the roster and he has catching experience as well so maybe this is it maybe he gets a little bit more playing time than we're thinking especially with the history that the Giants have had with their platooning as you mentioned I don't know that they're built in a way that makes platooning pretty like as obvious as it had been in the past but it's still December (laughs) the offseason can a lot of things can still change so keep an eye on that situation there for sure Especially if you're considering drafting Conforto late in your drafts. Hey, with outfield the way it is, he still got he might be the everyday DH there, but he still got outfield eligibility through the twenty twenty-three season. All right. Giants make another move here. It's not exactly Kenley Jansen, as a lot of us were worried about with Camilo Duvall being bumped out for an established closer, but it is somebody with closing experience. Tyler Rogers' brother. Twin brother Taylor Rogers signs a three-year deal, averaging out to eleven million dollars a year with the Giants. Does the new Rogers presence in San Francisco do enough to scare you away from Camilo Duvall, or do you think that Duvall has done enough to solidify that spot?
2: Yeah, the worst part of this move is we can't say the T Rogers in San Francisco <laughs> anymore.
1: What are they Yeah, what are, it's yeah. going to be T A Rogers and T. Why Rogers yeah, on their this jerseys? Was,
2: this was already <laughs> rough. It already would trip me up on occasion, and it's going to be even worse. But ah, uh, yeah, I, you're right. This isn't Kinley Jansen, but this is trouble for Duval drafters. I believe now he is a lefty, but they have two other lefties in that bullpen right now already. I think this is at minimum timeshare in the closer role we know we talk about it with the hitters and the giants playing matchups. Now they have both a righty and a lefty with closing experience and that have had success in that role. And I think that is going to be how these guys are used. I think this is a share. I think it's not ideal, but it is okay. A pretty good landing spot for Taylor Rogers. He's going to get some saves in my opinion maybe close to half of them or it could up could end up being more but to the point of your question am I worried if I have drafted Duval or if I am going into a draft and looking at the San Francisco situation yeah absolutely especially in those gladiators where Duval went so early and everybody got worried with the Jansen rumors and now and they had a sigh of relief now this I think he'll still get some save opportunities, but I don't think he is the guy. The uh, Taylor Rogers better, same strikeouts. Thing is, Taylor Rogers doesn't walk as many guys as Duval does. and That's his, huge yeah. in the ninth inning. So that's the main difference when you look at their page. Toss ERA out of it. That, that All kinds of, we know how volatile that is. Everything else looks nearly identical except the walks. And that's huge in the ninth inning.
1: Yeah, Duval had adp in dc's around eighty one he went ninety one in that OC that just finished up a couple of days ago so I think that OC finished up before this Oi. signing made because it literally happened today I believe as we're recording this on Friday it, I can't imagine that Duvall stays in the top 100 after this move. Simple as that. Clay Holmes is going to start moving up in, in that range. You've seen Kenley Jansen in that same range as well. These guys are all going to jump. It's not even that these guys are going to jump over Duvall, but Duvall is going to get a move down. For me, this is like the worst possible place or situation that Rodgers could have went to because I've been touting Rogers going to somebody like Miami where he could just take over the role out, outright. Now, he not only do I not think he goes to a place where he could gain value, but he does something to hurt somebody else's value as well. <laughs> it makes the situation murkier than it was going in. So I'm not a fan of this move at all. And I, I, Probably won't be drafting either one of them. It's definitely not where Duvall. I don't have I'm I i have not been going after Deval at all in my gladiators or in my early drafts. So I'm happy. It's not a headache that I have to worry about so much. But I've also been one of the suckers that has been paying up for the likes of Liam Hendricks, who we're going to talk about in in a second. Closers. Everybody loves to talk about them because there's always something to talk about because there's always a change being made. The other thing is I'll just echo what I keep hearing Sarah's talking about. Teams are going to be more willing to use lefties in any situation thanks to the shift rules that are happening. Obviously, we all know that there's going to be some sort of shift, but they have their rules and regulations now and where they can stand and where they can't. And lefty relievers are going to be a little bit more relevant because of those shift restrictions that we see. Like you said, maybe this is a 50-50 split and more maybe it worked itself out within the first month. But that's a, it's a cloudy area that you have to work through in a whole month of the first month of the season. So not something I want to be drafting into in December for sure. All right. Like I mentioned, I teased it a little bit. We do have some rumors revolving around Liam Hendricks. Nothing has actually happened, nor personally do I think anything will happen, but a lot of rumors have been swirling around that the White Sox might be considering trading Hendricks possibly to a team with a more, even more established closer like the Mets. That's the strongest rumor we keep seeing. Again, I don't know how you feel about whether that'll happen or not, but the fact that it's out there, we saw the Angels do this with Rasiel Iglesias, with, even with that large contract. Is the rumor enough to scare you away from drafting Hendrix early and often, as I have just admitted to be doing myself, any drafts that you might have coming up over the new year?
2: No, uh, that's the simple answer. It, it, it's a reminder that this could happen with anybody. It is highly unlikely that it happens with any of the top-notch closers, especially those on contending teams, which is typically the guys that move to the tops of our draft boards. It's just a possibility. If it happens, it sucks. Well, it wasn't to this level, but 2022, I had Will Smith in a lot of spots with his contract, the guy with the Braves, that guy we talk about, Every week this season, Kenley Jansen came in, ruined the whole situation for me. It's always a possibility, even with the higher tier, top tier guys, but highly unlikely. So it's just a reminder. It could happen. If it does, it sucks. I'm not changing anything based on the rumor, though.
1: I needed you to say that you were really scared and you're not drafting him so that he'll continue to drop in ADP. So in our January draft, I could still grab him, but at a better cost. Thanks, Kevin.
2: (laughs) I'm the opposite of that, right? I, I, in the gladiators, I haven't jumped on the closers, but in general, I like early closers and I'm, I like the fact that Hader and Hendricks have dropped below Diaz and Class A. I think in keeper leagues and dynasty leagues, sure, the younger guys, the, these guys, H- Hendricks was great for most of last season, a couple of hiccups. Hader, we know he had personal issues, and then the fact that he did, he was all the way back at the end of the season and in the postseason, I'd rather have Josh Hader than, and Liam Hendricks than the two guys going above him. So I am of that same hope that they will drop at that you are, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think there's enough fantasy players out there that have similar opinions.
1: Yeah. And he's not moving. He's not budget. If anything, he's getting drafted earlier and earlier as the offseason season right. trudges on. I see him around. He's gone as early as pick 22. Of course, this is going to be in a gladiator or whatnot. I'm in a DC. I think it's low in the last 20 DCs or so is 50, 51, 52. And so he's not really moving. He's not budging. This isn't really affecting the market. As you said, there are there, there's a reason why we pay up for saves. At least we have in the last year and a half, last two, year, two years worth of drafts is because there's such volatility. There's such nuance to it. And you don't know what's going to happen at any given time. And for me, I'm willing to pay up if I'm paying up for the money. So like Hendricks has the money, unless he gets traded to the Mets, he's going to close. There's not, there's pretty much no other place that Hendricks could get traded to where he wouldn't stay the closer. Again, we would have said, might've said that about Iglesias as well. It just so happened. It was a perfect storm there. I don't see this happening as well. I think we're on lockstep on what we think, what we see happening there. Another smaller move here. will go down to Houston. They bring back Michael Brantley. What's he going to do in Houston? DH is he actually going to play the outfield? Is he will his legs hold up for that? All the jokes aside, that of course Jordan Alvarez should be playing DH as he he's in his twenties, but his knees are into their forties. We'll see how that works out. What's your take on Brantley and what kind of playing time do we see out of him back with the Astros?
2: I don't know. I'm really intrigued here, but the Jordan Alvarez is. The, the wild card here, they were really not sure. Like, How often do they want to roll him out into the outfield? And how often will they, even if they don't really want to? I think as of right now, I would think that both of these guys play every day and they move them back and forth. Their day off is as designated hitter. So that's how I'm going to play. I'm more intrigued also about roster resource right now has him in the two hole, which is very possible with his on base skills and his nice batting average. I could also see them putting him down in the order a bit like in the back half of that, that middle, the back of the middle third, put him down below Kyle Tucker on where the lineup is now. We could also, it wouldn't surprise any of us. And a lot of people, especially those draft him in the first round, would love to see Kyle Tucker move up. Maybe Kyle Tucker does go to the top of the lineup and Brantley's down in his spot at fifth or sixth. That's what's really intriguing to me because we're not going to get the 20 home runs anymore out of Michael Brantley. We want to see him, near the top of the lineup where he's the big value will come from the batting average, of course, that we will expect from him. And then the runs scored in this Houston lineup. So that's what I'm most intrigued about. I think I'm going to assume that him and Jordan Alvarez pretty much play the same amount of time and trade off, whether it's designated hitter and the outfield, but I really want to see where he ends up in this lineup.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, at least from a keeper and or dynasty standpoint, this is great for us because I think it does keep him in an outfield situation enough to keep outfield eligibility moving forward rather than signing a perfectly healthy defensive outfielder specialist. That's going to keep Alvarez mostly in a DH role. He's going to play plenty of DH. Don't get me wrong, but I think he'll get the 20 games to keep that outfield eligibility for 2024 due to this. Also, this makes me a little bit more int- Signing a guy like Brantley, who obviously he does what he does. That's fine. Makes me more interested in some of their older, talented prospects that haven't really had a chance to come up yet. Pedro Leon comes to mind. Yanier Diaz, who catching prospect slash DH, who spent a little bit of time last year. He had nine plate appearances at the major league level at the end of the season last year. I'm watching these guys because obviously we know Brantley's health isn't perfect. Alvarez's knees could go out at any time and those opportunities could arise from those guys missing time and these guys are both in their 24 they'll be their 24 year season 25 I think for Leon. Pedro Leon's not on the 40 man but that's at that age that's not that's an easy move to make especially if you just want to, you need to see what this guy can do at the major league level if ever and Diaz has already made that jump so guys that I'm, I drafted Diaz in a DC he only has UT eligibility right now but They never ended up signing a catcher, right? They never signed anybody to either take the job from Maldonado or to back up and supplant anybody. So Diaz could very easily be the first man back up in enough time. You can play 10 games and gain that catcher eligibility as well. So keep an eye on these two guys. Again, not guys I'm drafting, but people that I'm paying attention to not only in draft and holds, but early in the season pickups.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Maldonado, they love I know. His yeah. defense, they love how he handles the pitching staff. And he's another one of those guys that when you are in a pinch, he is probably available. And sure, 186, 186 batting average, horrendous. But you're not using this guy in 27 baseball oh, sure. weeks. <laughs> and he did hit 15 home runs, right? There are worse guys to stick in your lineup for a week or half of a week when you're in need, and you know he'll be available.
1: Oh, yeah. This is classic. Dave Swan does a great article for a pitcher list where yeah. he's talking about streaming catchers. This is a streaming catcher. <laughs> as simple as that. Yep.
2: Yeah. Don't hurt my batting average too much. Hit a home run for me this week.
1: There you go. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about my socks a little bit. We'll get to your Royals a little bit later. But the socks made a trade the way I look at it. They made a trade. They made a trade with the Dodgers. Shocking shocking they made a trade with the Dodgers. They no, they actually made it they signed Justin Turner who obviously played for the Dodgers last year for what will essentially end up being a two-year deal to be their primary DH. On the flip side, the Los Angeles signed JD Martinez to a one-year deal to fill the same role for them. Prior to the respective deals, Martinez had been going ahead of Turner in most DCs, draft champions averaging out to 235 while Turner sat just north of 300. What kind of impact do you think these new landing spots do for these two guys' fantasy values?
2: I'm just happy they both found a spot. I'm not too concerned about where the spot is. I do like it for both of them in general. When we look at Boston's lineup, I think we're going to see Justin Turner in that four or five spot behind Yoshida, Story, Devers Maybe Verdugo moves up ahead of him. Maybe he's fourth. I love the spot. I think it's going to be great right-handed hitter. He's going to hit a lot of doubles off the wall. I think he'll Im- improve on the 13 home runs in 2022, hitting him over the monster. He's always got a nice batting average. I think this is a great spot, fantasy-wise, at least for Justin Turner. Same with uh, J.D. out out in LA that's a nice home run park especially for right-handed hitters I think that's one of the more underrated situations for hitters we've always thought of that as probably neutral maybe even lean a little bit towards pitchers but I think over the last couple of years we've seen righties it's a pretty nice spot and I think I like JD out there as well and yeah I have been drafting JD Martinez and I'm very happy with the landing spot. I don't have any Justin Turner yet. There wasn't any real reason. I wasn't really avoiding him other than maybe because I didn't know where he was, but that was subconsciously affecting that. But now that I know where he is and I know, I know Boston wasn't a horrible team. They may have finished last. Were, <laughs> so this is the thing, right? They were still, they weren't far below 500. They were in the AL. Oh, no, they, yeah, they're Even still in the Wilson ALS. Run. Yeah. This isn't a bad lineup, and it never was. No Boston fans such as yourself wish it was better, and I know they have let guys go. I understand that completely. The lineup's still a pretty darn good lineup. So Justin Turner hitting cleanup in that spot. I love it.
1: I like the Turner location way more than the J.D. Martinez. Like, I would swap these guys as ADPs easily right now. I have a lot of fear that JD Martins is simply just not going to hit 500 plate appearances in the Dodgers lineup being the everyday DH where you have guys like Will Smith, you have guys like Max Muncy, you have guys that you, the Dodgers want to get in the lineup as often as possible. And they need a new opportunity for them to do it outside of their starting roles. Once slotted in at third base, now that Turner's gone, you have Vargas in there as well. So you have guys that they're going to want to move around and, Martinez can't do that. He's not going to play enough in the field to gain any eligibility. I don't think there's a reason why he's UT only and Justin Turner has third base eligibility. If anything, Turner has a, a solid chance of gaining first base eligibility definitely before J.D. Martinez gains any eligibility as well. I think you you hit it on the head like this is a great landing spot for turn, pretty much any Right-handed hitter, be able to knock balls off the off and or over the the monster is great, especially for the profile that Turner has. It, that batting average is in doubles. If you're not looking for home runs, Turner is exactly what you're looking for. Obviously, everybody talked about how thin third base is as well, so that eligibility is key. Even though he's not going to be your starting third baseman, it's just nice to have that kind of that that backup plan. I'm not personally, I'm not touching JD Martinez in this location. Yeah. Great lineup, great ballpark, except for maybe in a head-to-head league or in a place where I can stream him. But he's not going to be a guy with the name recognition that's going to be readily available on the wire, I don't think. He's going to be drafted. His ADP says as much. We'll see how much that holds up as drafts continue to go after these moves have happened. But I am worried about just the overall playing time and whether or not that power actually returns, whether or not he's in a good ballpark, good lineup or not. Maybe the RBIs are there, but I'm not sure that you're going to see the the home runs come back from Martinez in this situation.
2: Where does Justin Turner's ADP land? Over since mid-November in 13 draft champions leagues, he's sitting at 315 with a minimum of 272. Yeah, 29th uh, third baseman off the board.
1: That's... And it depends what you're looking for, right? If I, or if we're looking just, you can't really just look at third baseman at that point in the draft because you're not drafting him as, again, you're starting third base no matter where he goes. But you go up to Mancada if you're just going to stick with third base. I probably like Justin Turner a little bit more than Mankata. He's going about 40 picks earlier right now than Turner. I can see him jumping over that base on the landing spot. Jump way further than that.
2: I yeah. really do. I think everybody's going to have the same opinion. We both like this landing spot. I, Luis Rengifo is going sixty-five picks ahead of Justin Turner right now. Yeah, why? Anthony Rendon is going almost
1: a hundred picks earlier than Justin Turner right now. I mean, there are definitely players between Rendon. That I don't get that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but there are definitely players I like more than Turner. Question. But Here's not the question. Yeah.
2: Here's the question. And I know it I, I know it's a upside play versus a safe know what we're gonna get play. If you're putting a starting lineup in for week one, both of these guys are with the major league team. You want Justin Turner or do you want Jordan Walker in your fantasy lineup? Ooh,
1: wait, that Walker is starting? Yep. But you have no idea what he's done yet.
2: Week one. We just know he's going he's with the team.
1: But I can only, if I can only have one, I'm going to go Walker because I'm just a sucker for that. And just because of the upside and
2: Turner. And that's 10 third baseman ahead of Justin Turner. Yeah, but that's it's still a conversation. It's definitely, definitely a conversation. taking him ahead of Ryan McMahon, who's going ahead of Walker. Oh, sure. I think this is going to be a huge jump for Justin Turner. He's definitely not going outside the 300 anymore. And he could jump up into the early 200s. I think I, this is going to be a huge jump.
1: What about, but there are other guys that are just as interesting. Like you have his replacement in theory, Miguel Vargas granted first base eligible, not third base eligible, but he's still going to be a corner or UT guy to start your season anyway. And this
2: is the people like me that were drafting Edwin Rios two years ago (laughs) and Justin Turner re-signed. So I haven't drafted any Vargas and now Justin Turner actually did leave. So that's a huge boost for Vargas. Yeah. So
1: that's a great question. Who jumps up more? Miguel Vargas or Justin Turner based on the signing. The fact that Turner didn't resign, he's going to a great park for him and opens up the door for Miguel Vargas. I'll, I'll be watching that ADP to see who ends up jumping up more because of this move.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is something to watch. I'm going to be really interested to see where Justin Turner starts being drafted.
1: Yeah, I really wish. And, you know, of course, if you go to the player page on NFBC, you can see the ADP graph that they put up. But what they don't do is when you hover over each dot, it doesn't tell you what kind of draft that they were drafted in. Like, especially relievers, obviously, they they fluctuate depending on if you're a best ball or anything else. <laughs> and you're the only guy, stuff like that. But it just watching that kind of graph happen throughout the offseason for certain guys, this is always fun to look at. I
2: got something totally unrelated, but it what you just said made me think of this. So gladiators are full. They haven't all been done yet, but the signups are done. No more gladiators. And we thought there might be another round, but it doesn't sound like there will be. Sounds like this is it for gladiator drafts for 2023. There have only been 40 draft champions leagues completed and we're getting close to the end of the year. So I don't know if there's going to be as many draft champions leagues end up being drafted as last year. I don't think they'll catch up because of all these gladiators people were jumping into. Does that make jumping in an extra one or two because there's less teams in it for the overall? Is that appealing to you?
1: I'll definitely be doing at least one. I did... Four last year, and I already told myself that I wasn't. I was probably gonna cut that in half. So I'm probably gonna do. I did one already, one draft champions. I'll probably do another one in either February or March. It, I get the logic. I don't have the same. I was thinking the same thing. I think I either had a tweet or a reply to a tweet talking about this. I don't think that I, if I'm at an FBC, I'm concerned about filling the DCs. There's oh no, such, they're gonna
2: be filling, uh, but the overall. Prizes have already been announced, and I know they've been very strict about this in the past. That they can't change that for legal reasons. Once they've published what the prizes sure. are going to be, they can't change it. So there may be a a drop in the number of teams, but they base these overall prizes on past what the seasons. Yep. Mm-hmm. So there there may be a little bit of value there. I'm just curious if anybody thinks that might be the case.
1: I think there will be. Those who like to draft that format will they, definitely be tempted to pick up another team for sure. I think that's also the reason why they're or we haven't heard
2: back because, like you, I yeah. thought we think of draft champions as pretty much hands off, but when you get into the season, more yes. work than you realize. <laughs> so, I was like, you maybe I'll do one or two less of those. I think I had four last year as well, maybe five. But now I'm back to, no, I think I'm going to have four or five of
1: them. Yeah, <laughs> But that's also maybe why we haven't heard a tweet about doing Gladiator 2s. Like, maybe there has been more of a dip then, than I'm I leading on. I think
2: Greg on. tweeted that we're done. If yeah. you didn't get in, you're done for 2023 on Gladiators. Yeah. And I think it's because of these lower DC numbers, right? They, I think it's great. I think they love the Gladiator. They love the response they got to Gladiator. But it hurt the draft champions numbers and so that's probably why they're not going to do the gladiator 2 that that we speculated on
1: the last draft i think is scheduled for january 15th i saw that some savvy people were filling that up before the gladiators were sold out knowing that was going to be the last gladiator draft on the calendar yep. exactly so be curious to see the adp come out from those mid january gladiators compared to what we saw earlier on which obviously will <laughs> definitely fluctuate. All right. We still got a lot. We still got a couple more things to talk about. I think I need to take a little bit of a breath, Kevin. So we're going to take another quick break. All right. We got a couple more things to get to and not a lot of time to get to it. So let's, let's blaze through these last couple here. Kevin, we got the Cubs making a couple of deals here. Let's start with obviously the most important one. Drew Smiley returns to the Cubs on a two-year deal. Talk to me about Smiley as much as you want, but I'm more interested to hear are you more interested in Smiley or are you more devastated by losing the possibility of seeing the likes of Samson and Wesneski and whoever else might be filling in that fifth spot in that Cubs rotation?
2: I think we end up seeing them all. It, you're not going through a season with five starters. We know that and you might need double digits before the season's mm-hmm. over. But I I like it for Smiley. He had a really nice, probably underrated 2022. And going back to that same spot, he had 22 starts. I think that's probably about what we'll see. Now, what's really interesting when you look at Steamer's projections is they have him with 19 starts, but 39 appearances. So they're giving him relief appearances as well.
0: I'd that be surprised is really
2: intriguing to me. So it if Wesnesky and Samson move into the rotation with a healthy drew smiley. Is that, I guess that's what they're forecasting is going to happen here. That's really intriguing, but uh, yeah, I don't know if we get the ERA under three, five that we got in 2022, but I would expect it to be better than the four two nine that he's projected for. They're usually really conservative with those projections, especially with pitchers like Smiley. So I could see it being under four with its chasing wins. He had seven (laughs) in just 22 starts. So that's pretty darn good. There weren't many pitchers that hit double digits and his would have easily, if you prorate that out a little bit, I know we can't do that, but he also had 11 wins for Atlanta in 2021. Cubs lineup is improving and yeah I like this at least to start the season but there is that threat he could lose the spot at some point
1: yeah the Cubs are I want to say sneaky good but they're sneaky not terrible especially in that division I know it's a quote more balanced schedule though so they will play in their division I think it's like 11 or 12 times rather than 18 or 19 times it's still not a lot to compete with in that NL Central as far as winning ball games, He's getting $8 million a year for the next two each of the next two years. So that's in that kind of that sweet spot of a number five starter and a long reliever. So I, he's not tied to any particular role based on his contract. So I, I know I just reacted there. I'd be a little surprised if he ends up in a more of a really or he gets that many relief appearances compared to starts. But the money's there for him to be flexible. And I'm sure that he didn't specifically sign somewhere that would give him a very big role. So I guess that's definitely in the cards for him.
2: And Steven Van to bring up on Wins Above Fantasy, that the projections sometimes will hedge their bets, right? Oh, sure. Somehow we got to get this guy the innings that we're going to project him for. (laughs) But he may only start 19 games. So how is he going to get the rest of them? Let's say he's going to relieve some. Let's just say. Let's just say.
1: Got to make some assumptions, right? All right. The Cubs weren't done. Actually, they made this move before Smiley. Smiley was the icing on the cake here. The cake itself was they get a shortstop of the future. And for a few years now, Danzi Swanson, he signs with the Chicago Cubs. Besides what this means, I already I kept saying it from the rooftop. Jeff Zimmerman in his Mining the News back in like mid October, he pointed out that Hoyer of the Cubs already stated that it was expected that Nico Horner was going to be moving over to second base long before they signed a future shortstop. And so I don't think that aspect of their infield wasn't a big shock to me. And there's been a lot of talk about, oh, there's Nico, he gets second base eligibility. I'm like, I already, I was already planning on that. Is there any other impact to the Cubs infield that you see happening here that I'm not seeing? I'm more interested in the fact that does this solidify Von Grissom as a starting shortstop in Atlanta in 2023?
2: Yeah, that's the big question. And as of right now, yes. I don't know if we can say cemented because there's we still have a few months before the season begins, but we're only now we're down to a month and a half to spring training. So as of, it, it's looking better and better. Yeah, I think the reason it doesn't affect our perception of the Cubs lineup is because we knew they were bringing a shortstop in. We didn't know it was going to be one of the big four guys. But we knew this was happening. We knew, as you said, we knew Nico Horner was moving to second base. We expected their starting shortstop for 2023 was not on the roster. And so there's not a lot of changes here. Yeah, but the Von Grissom, it's looking more and more likely by the day. And those days are more numbered than a lot of us may realize. We're down to six or seven weeks till spring training.
1: Grissom already being drafted, obviously second base eligibility in drafts. It's It's almost too bad because if he had only shortstop eligibility, I feel like he'd be going a lot later than you already see him going because just of the depth of shortstop as it stands. He's the 16th second base eligible player going off the board at about 189. I don't necessarily think that changes uh, because even with this news, as he's being drafted, you're probably drafting him as a middle infielder anyway. So gaining that other middle infield eligibility, isn't going to make much of a difference, at least in my eyes, but the fact that he has a more solid role or one that you feel as though has a more of a guarantee to everyday playing time in one of the best lineups in baseball on a winning ball club. Granted, he'll probably be in the bottom third of the order, More than likely, unless he earns it. yeah. But he's still, there was still some gray area as to how much playing time he would actually see come the start of the season. Unless you're like me, where you just assumed Swanson wasn't going to resign with Atlanta. Because if he was, he would have resigned like four years ago on a very (laughs) team friendly deal. And it's the fact that he wasn't able to do that. And he was pretty much good as gone.
2: I find it interesting that roster Resource at the moment has Marcel Ozuna as the designated hitter and Travis Darno on the bench as a backup catcher. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we see a lot more plate appearances for Travis Darno at designated hitter than Marcel Ozuna.
1: I think Ozuna has to earn that with all the stuff that he's that's happened around him yeah. both on and off the field mostly off he's definitely gonna have to do more so on the field to just for them to justify him having an, a role never mind an everyday role on uh, the other that hand club.
2: there wasn't many if any quieter
1: 23 home run players in twenty twenty two either oh yeah the home runs were quiet but i don't think everything else <laughs> he did was very quiet right but the the Atlanta is quietly signing a whole bunch of outfielders. <laughs> they signed Jordan Luplau, they they grabbed Sam Hilliard from I the still Rockies have hope earlier. For Sam Hilliard. <laughs> I still have hope. But they've got a decent amount of outfielders whether they're good or not is going to be in question, but their depth in that situation is quietly there in a way just as a backup plan to Ozuna not working himself out in any role.
2: Yeah, as of right now. On roster resource, their bench is Travis Darno, Orlando Arcia, Sam Hilliard, Jordan Luplau. All of these guys, we know Luplau is heavy platoon splits, so we know his role. These are all guys that could surprise us with value in 2023.
1: At Ozuna's expense, probably. Yeah. All right, let's go back. Let's go to your Royals, Kevin. They actually make a move here. Jordan Lyles joins the rotation with a two-year deal in Kansas City. Fan hat first. is Do you care about this signing? Are you happy about it? They needed pitching. What are your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, I like the move. Similar to the Yarbrough move. Veteran pitcher coming to a nice ballpark team with the, that plays pretty good defense. Maybe not as good as they have in the past, but they're working towards that again. That is that is their philosophy. They like good defenders in their offensive lineup. Yeah, and the move for a team that they're not in a spot to go spend a lot of money yet if they ever get to that spot for a team with their payroll but they have done that in the past when they see a spot they've taken a shot and for a couple of years it worked and for a couple of years it didn't but they're not in that spot yet so i think this is great just like we talked with Garbro, he's gonna get his innings they're not gonna be spectacular but we're talking about a guy that can strike out 150 guys in 180 innings and have an ERA that isn't horrible. I think it, it probably improves Kaufman Stadium. Yeah, the f- most interesting thing to me is that, and I know this really doesn't matter, but Roster Resource has him listed as their SP one above Singer, above Yarbrough. They still have Brad Keller back in the rotation. That's not going to happen, I don't <laughs> think, and, unless things are going really bad with the younger guys, which it has the past couple of years, so it's possible, but they I don't think that's what they want to see. But yeah, very similar to last week when we were talking Ryan Yarbrough. It, I think this is a fine place. It's somebody I'd be comfortable with in draft champions leagues, hoping I don't have to use him, but if I do, I'd be fine with it. And somebody I'll keep an eye on as a streamer throughout the season.
1: What you mentioned, he's going to a pitcher friendly ballpark. We know that about the Royals, but they got a new stadium coming up. What's the timeline on? Do you know, remember the timeline on that?
2: I don't know if there has been anything officially announced okay. for a timeline. Everything now is still planning stages and then, and they're trying to, they're doing the win over the fans before we tell them how much tax money it's going to cost. them. <laughs> they're in that portion of the cycle.
1: And I know they wanted it to be a downtown location rather Got than it. where they're at now. Always curious to see when you, you, we saw this with Texas, right? When they get their new ballpark, it was very hitter friendly prior. And now it is more either neutral at best, if not more pitcher friendly and curious to see what that does for the Royals. And, that they and move into downtown a different downtown
2: stadiums, we don't know until we see games, live yeah. games. Right? You don't know what the
1: buildings around there, the wind right. is going to be like, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Very curious. All right. I think, I think we've talked about enough. I think there are a couple more things that have happened that I think we'll just save for the next time we talk, Kevin. This, is, this has been an amazing off-season, as we have stated many times before. And I look forward to <laughs> sooner or later, it's going to dry up, right? And then we're going to have to figure out something else to talk about. But uh, for now, let's I, just enjoy it.
2: <laughs> as I alluded to, spring training is sneaking up. I think it's taken care of itself for us, which is amazing.
1: Yeah, that'll be something to, we'll actually be able to see things actually pan out. And all the things we talk about, we need to see this guy at a pitch or at velocity or what role they're going to play. What, we're going to see the pitch clock in spring training. We're going to see all these other things and a lot of the different things that we're going to be able to actually see actually happen rather than just speculating on. All right, we'll be back later on in the week. Hopefully everybody's enjoying their their holiday weekend, of, if that's what you're into. <laughs> yeah, Mele
2: Kalikamaka.
1: There we go, Let, and that's going to do it for episode ninety three of On the Wire. Thanks for joining us this weekend. Every week, we'll be back throughout the off season. So make sure that you're subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the podcast wherever you're listening. Follow myself on the Twitter at eighty grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at HastingKevin. Kevin, of course, follow the pod itself at On the Wire Pod. And after all of that, I am Adam Howe on behalf of Kevin Hasting. Thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye.